Hey everybody, this is Kendall from Recording Lounge. I am here to do a follow-up show on uh, this last week's show. I've gotten a lot of good feedback, and I'm really glad. I'm really glad you guys have enjoyed the show. Uh, makes me really happy to know that uh, it was helpful. It is May 4th, 2011. It's a great way to start the month, first week of the month, getting out of podcast. I hope you guys are ready for it. Last podcast, we talked about drum mixing. One of the things I wanted to... Do as a follow-up, and I, I thought about doing it in the same show, but I thought, no, I'll just do it on a separate one when I have time. Um, I wanted to do a follow-up show that really focused on some of the slightly more advanced um, stuff, but also I wanted to do a show that used fewer channels. So I had 12 channels to work with, and that's that's a lot for most people. I mean, especially, I know some of you guys starting out, you don't have that. Um, and in fact, I can almost guarantee that it's a good thing that you don't have that because it's very difficult to get that many channels to sound good because you've got a lot of things involving phase and you've got a lot of things involving tones and you got different mics and you you know all this so we're going to talk about that today on the recording lounge over the past year I've been writing a book about mixing and recording and this this podcast is really a great example of one of the chapters uh, that I have in there and that basically is saying you know you don't need a ton of channels to get great sounds the thing is that you're getting good sounds and we you know the book is uh... it's coming along it'll probably be done this year um, sometime i'm not exactly sure when might be available for release next year and the point is i really want you guys to hear what you can do because i think a lot of people will record things that are that's a lot better than they think but either their mixing skills are bad or their uh, monitoring chain is bad. And so they're not really understanding, or their ears aren't developed enough to really understand that what they've recorded is not so bad. And they try to fix it and fix it when it really just takes a lot of ear training to help yourself understand what is what, what needs to be done, and what, no what does not need to be done. Okay, so before we start working on today's tracks, I'm going to give you a brief summary of what we're doing. We're going to be mixing a drum kit that has four mics. That is an inside kick mic, a snare mic, an overhead mic, and a room mic that's about 10 feet back. And our goal is to get these four mics to sound just as big, just as punchy, just as rockin' as the kit that we did last time with 12 mics. You think we can do it? Well, let's try. Um, this was recorded in the same room. I was able to get all the parameters as close as possible, which is what I wanted. The snare drum is different, um, but the same room with the same drum kit as the session we did before. But I used different mics, and I my goal was to show that you can get amazing sounds with few mics, and in fact, sometimes it's easier to get better sounds with fewer mics. In this case, if I had to add more mics onto this, I would add either a second overhead or I would add in the tom mics. Um, honestly, I love simple drum sounds. I love drum sounds that are effective. I love drum sounds that are out of the way. If you're doing a pop song that doesn't have a lot of fills uh, on toms or whatever, um, you know, sometimes you might just be doing a pop song that has no fills at all. If that's the case, um, this might be a miking solution for you that you'll be completely satisfied with. Basically, I'll give you a rundown of what we used. We used an Electro Voice RE20, very popular mic on the kick. The heads were uh, Evans EMAD on the, on the uh, beater head. The front head was a Remo, not sure the model. 
um, but it had just a hole cut in it, and uh, the mic was placed inside the kick. The snare mic was a Telefunken M80. Really, really cool mic. I love them to death. I would use them on just about anything. And the snare on this session was actually a custom 14x7 acrylic snare with a brand new uh, Remo Ambassador head. Um, I think the Remo Ambassador heads record really well. It was tuned up very well. Custom Pro snare wires. It's a good sounding drum. The overhead mic was an AKG 414, not an old one, just a new one. Uh, it wasn't the EB or any of the ULS, it was just the newer XLS, but I really like the sound it got. Um, it was placed at sort of an angle going, and so if you can imagine drawing a line from the drummer's left foot through the snare, kick, and ride cymbal in that sort of 45 degree angle line, that's sort of the plane on which the overhead mic was placed. It was placed over the ride cymbal facing kind of at the middle point between the ride, kick, and snare. And I like that because it gets just enough hi-hat, it gets a lot of snare and kick, and the kick and snare are completely obviously in, in time with each other because it's just one mic. It also gets a really good ride cymbal tone. Sometimes I feel like I need an individual mic on the ride cymbal just because of the nature of some rides are not as loud as the rest of the kit and drummers really hit the snare and the kick and the toms loud but maybe not the ride cymbal but um, it really gets a good clear solid ride cymbal tone and the room mic was a Perlman TM1 about 10 feet back probably about 5 feet high maybe somewhere in there facing just the snare drum and again my goal is to show you that you can get good drum sounds you just have to approach it from I mean the, from the ground up and do it right Obviously the first step is having good drums and coupled with that is having a good drummer and coupled with that is having um, a great room. I can tell you from experience it's almost impossible to get great drum sounds in a crappy sounding room. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. I know that's bad, but it's the truth. And I know that acoustic treatment is not glamorous, but it's not that expensive. Like, I mean, I've seen, I've seen guys I know spend all this money on equipment, it's like, dude, you wasted your money. I'm sorry, you needed to spend that money on acoustic treatment. Let me put it in perspective for you. We talked about this on another show, but I'll put it in perspective. You can get one microphone from Perlman for somewhere in the neighborhood of 1600 to $3,000, something up. So let's, let's, say, let's say an average of $2,000 for a Perlman condenser mic. Um, they're fantastic mics, I love them. And they will give you an amazing vocal sound if you have a good room and a good vocalist, that is. However, you could spend $2,000 and get 20 bass traps for your room. That's 2 foot by 4 foot by 4 inch bass traps in your room, and it would seriously sound incredible. That same price, you could get half of that and it would make a huge difference. You could spend $1,000 and your room would already sound five times better. You could spend $2,000 and your room would probably sound professional. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, obviously, depending on the size of the room. But if we're talking a pretty small room, um, you know, that also can vary in terms of, like, if you have a low ceiling. The low ceilings are hard to work with. You pretty much have to treat the entire ceiling. One classic thing that is really going to get you a good sound is to, A, not have a carpeted floor. Usually the better method is to have a reflective floor, i.e. wood, and a softer ceiling, i.e. acoustically treated. Um, or diffused, or some sort of way that it's not just a flat surface parallel to the ground. 
most smaller studios, I would recommend treating the whole ceiling if it's low. And when I say low, I mean 8 feet, 9 feet. It's going to be pretty hard to work with. You don't have to treat the ceiling, you know, 100%, but treat it as much as you can. Um, that's going to improve your sound a lot. And, you know, coat the entire floor in wood for all I, I mean, the point is you need a reflective floor um, for drums. It's just part of it, you know. After your room is treated, and, you know, I'm telling you, you got to learn to tune your drums. you got to learn to do that stuff. It's, it's, it's called engineering, you know what I mean? It, it's part of the job. Like, stop being lazy. I'm sorry, just stop being lazy. It's really annoying. People will enter the home recording world, and then their stuff sounds terrible, and they're like, man, why does this sound bad? And I want to look at them and say, well, your guitar is $100, and the strings are about two months old. What are you expecting? You know, it's just true. Like, you need to understand what's out there and you need to stop fooling yourself and not say, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a good drum set. Oh, yeah, no, it's a good guitar. Oh, no, it's a great sounding amp because it might be great sounding initially, but you really got to be aware of what is a great sounding amp. I mean, do your research on what the pros are using. Do your research on what a good drum kit sounds like. Like we've talked about before, you don't need to have a kit that's necessarily expensive because that's not the primary thing. But I mean, seriously, you got to have quality stuff. And some people, when they're just starting out, they make this statement all the time. And I've made the statement, I mean, come on, we've all made it. That's too expensive. And you say things also like, uh, nobody needs a drum set that expensive. And, you know, uh, there's no reason for things to be, for things to cost that much. The truth of the matter is, after a long time of, of really fighting it, um, you'll see, like, most people I've seen in the industry, yes, it is worth it. I mean, the two thousand dollar, three, four, five thousand dollar microphones, the six thousand dollar, or you know, two thousand to six thousand dollar drum sets, the two thousand dollar guitars, a uh, fifteen hundred dollar to two thousand dollar amps. I mean, it makes so much more sense to buy one two thousand dollar guitar amp than it does to make to buy five four hundred dollar guitar amps. Give me a break. It's just truth. Um, I'm trying to save you guys time and money. I'm trying to introduce you to these realism, to the realism of engineering and the realism of what actually goes on. You need to understand how drums work. You need to understand drum heads and you need to understand you know, how to make drums sound good. If you've got drums that are mediocre, you know, email me about it. You know, we can talk. I, I don't have time to go into it all necessarily. But, you know, there are details about drum heads and tuning and how to pick the drum heads and how to, how to, all this stuff. I mean, it matters. It really matters. So, one of the biggest problems I've seen since I've started doing this podcast, not necessarily in people that have emailed me, but mainly in other podcasts and doing my research, is that people don't do their research. They expect people like me that have podcasts or people that do YouTube tutorials to essentially spoon feed them and answer every single question that they have when in reality the thing that is really going to help you learn and I mean really going to help like advance your skills quicker faster better than you ever thought you could especially for some of you that think that you're sort of at a standstill or that you're not really learning much or that it takes you a long time to learn that one of the best things that can help you is to do it firsthand on your own. Go out there and find a friend that has a drum kit and record them and, re and learn what it means and 
listen to your favorite drum sounds and say, wow, that sounds so terrible compared to my favorite drum sounds. Why in the world does it sound terrible? And learn it that way. Learn it firsthand from experience, from failure, trial and error. That's the best way to learn. That all leads up to listening to the dry tracks. And there are four mics, like I said, and I want you to hear it because I want you to see that a good drummer with a good room and a good drum kit tuned well is going to sound good even dry. So let's take a listen to these tracks. These tracks are completely dry and all the levels are at zero. And there's no EQ on this podcast. Just let you know. Let's listen. Take a listen just to the kick. Maybe the snare too. I got the overhead. So that's the room mic. So as you can see, I mean, the sounds by themselves are pretty decent. Let's listen to the whole kit again. Oh, what I'm going to start off by doing is uh, making sure all the, all the phase is good. Now, I purposely did this so you could hear it. Um, I know for a fact that it's not all in phase right now. Um, so I'm going to listen to the sounds. They're all pan center. Listen to the sounds and hear... Um, flip the phase on the channels to make sure they're all in phase. Like I said, I purposely flipped the phase so that you can hear this. I know that it's not in phase right now. And I know which channels are not in phase. So uh, It was recorded well with no changes needing to be made in the first place. And so um, let's listen to these all in mono. Basically what you're going to do is you're going to flip the phase of each one. And you should be doing this during tracking. That's the point. But you're going to flip the phase of each channel. Essentially what you're going to be listening for is which one has more low end. So basically what you're going to be doing is listening. You're going to be playing the sounds all mono, even when you're doing this in the tracking. And you should be doing this in the tracking stage, but sometimes you're just giving tracks to mix and you don't have control over that. So um, in the tracking stage, you should be listening to these in mono, in one speaker preferably, or maybe even in headphones, listening to it in mono and flip the phase on each channel and whichever one has more low end is in phase and that's because they're all pushing together the kick drum you know when the kick drum hits all the sine waves are pushing together in the same direction um, i.e. the speakers are pushing out all at once uh, if you have one channel that's out of phase what it's essentially going to be trying to do is you know quote move the speaker the opposite direction um, and so it's working against your sound. Phase cancellation makes your sound hollow. Um, these drums don't sound too bad, though two of the mics have been flipped. Um, so let's listen to it, and I'm going to start flipping the phase until it sounds bigger. And when you do this, you got to do it. Start with one, and then, you know, if you get that one to sound good, then start flipping another. You flip the overheads, you check the overheads with the kick, overheads with the snare, 
I mean, it's a tedious process. That's why I say do it in the tracking phase and utilize as much good mic placement as possible and it'll make your job a lot easier. So the two mics have been flipped now. Listen to the difference before flipping the phase. And after. What you're really listening for is the kick drum and the snare drum, the, the beefiness of it. You lose a lot of that, and it starts to sound boxy and hollowy if you have a bunch of phase problems. Listen to the boxiness. Sounds like cardboard. It sounds like the drummer is hardly even hitting the snare. I mean, it sounds like he's just tapping it with the stick. When it's in phase, it sounds like he's banging the heck out of it. And, you know, at least relatively. And for some of you, that might have been a big shock. And the truth is, um, most of that is solved in the engineering stage. Like I've said, you put your mics in good positions. Make sure, you know, that they're all sounding good then. Um, it's always better to check that stuff then. But the difference is significant. I mean, it sounds like I compressed it and EQ'd it. I mean, it sounds already ten times better. Check this stuff. I'm telling you. Um, it, it can, it's, it's the first thing you need to do if you haven't, if you didn't do it in the, in the tracking stage correctly. Um, so now that they're in phase, we can actually start doing our mixing process. The first thing I suggest doing is setting levels, always. Uh, levels and pans. Now in this situation, we're not going to do any pans. We're just going to leave everything center. Don't be afraid of mono. It's our friend. I mean, I love, I love stereo sound, but it's okay to have you know, mono mics, it's okay to have a mono room mic. I do prefer stereo overheads, I do prefer stereo toms, um, but you know, kick, snare, and room being center is not a terrible thing. Um, so let's go ahead and listen to them and balance them a little bit, right? We only have four channels, so let's just try to balance them to make them sound a little better. Okay, so we have our sound now. It's a little bit more refined, right? Now the kick stands out and the snare stands out and the cymbals are brought just a touch back in the mix. All I really did is I brought down the room mic to touch and uh, the kick and snare are almost the same volume. Um, I brought down the room about three decibels and I brought down the overhead about six decibels. So that's somewhere in there, you know, a 6.59. So almost seven, I guess, somewhere in there. From here, you know, we can go a million ways with mixing drums, like we saw in the last show. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about is um, trying to wrap your mind around 
what order to do things and like how do you approach it because that's a common question I get is like so where do you start where do you start doing this so for me like I said it's always volumes and pans I do my gain staging and do volumes and pans if I get a mix I always check the phase on things like I just showed you because I don't know how well it was recorded and even on mixes that I've you know that I've tracked I I check the phase still I mean you have to it's just part of it you know for, for our purposes, let's assume this is a rock track, which it is, but, you know, I don't have the rest of the elements in it. Um, so let's go ahead and throw a gate on the kick and the snare to tighten them up a little bit. Uh, let's listen to that. Here's our raw kick sound. Um, we're going to throw a gate on it to tighten it up. sounding better already. Now let's go to our snare. Alright, so this is our dry snare sound. Um, he's doing some ghost strokes, which are those notes, those little notes in between, those little... Those... You can, I mean, those, those are called ghost strokes, because they're not really supposed to be heard explicitly, but they're there for effect, and they're there for vibe, and they sound great, and most great drummers use them. Um, but we're going to throw a little bit of a gate on this. It's not super strong, but it's enough to keep those in the background, but keep the snare still strong. So let's do this. Somewhere maybe in here. So those ghost strokes are not lost, but they're just put in the background. I'm going to flip it off. Um, and I'm going to turn it on right now. Okay, so now we're going to listen to the whole kit. Now we have the, the uh, gates in. Okay, so we're sounding a little better. Um, next thing we want to do is uh, like we talked about in show two shows ago we talked about the channel strip we talked about the chain we talked about the importance of the chain um, what we want to first do is listen for things that we don't like and that we don't want to compress and we will take them out in general a lot of it is about cutting frequencies that aren't enjoyable not boosting frequencies that are enjoyable so you listen to the sound and you say okay what do I not want to accentuate with all the rest of the processing? So let's let's take a listen to the kick and I'll explain it. Okay, so as you can hear, there's sort of like this uh, little bit of mid-range boxiness sound. So I'm going to throw an EQ on there. And again, the EQ model is not important. That's not the concept that's important here. I'm slowly going to be taking out some mid-range. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to boost the frequency that, that I'm hearing. This is a common technique. You're going to boost the frequency that you're hearing so that your ears can say, oh no, that's the one I don't like. And then you cut it. So you boost it only to hear it, only to hear it louder. And um, you know, you're just kind of sweeping through the frequencies 
you hear it and you're like, oh, girl, man, that one's disgusting. And then you dip it. All, so listen carefully for that. For now, I think that's good. Um, I haven't boosted anything. The only thing I did was cut a little bit at, what is this, 370 hertz. And I cut a little bit at 752 hertz. And I put a high-pass filter on the kick at 40. And that's mainly, you know, just for those tiny, tiny things that I don't want in there, like room rumble and stuff. I still want a lot of low end on the kick so I'm very very conservative with my high pass filters on the kick. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna compress the kick drum. Um, out of all the golden ears that'll tell you about mixing and stuff there's gonna be a lot of guys that are gonna be like oh no compression's the devil. Compression is bad. You don't want to overuse compression. All the young guys are overdoing compression right now. It's terrible. However even those guys will agree that the kick often needs a little compression and that's because it is at the forefront of a lot of music and it's loud and it's proud so we're gonna compress it and then we're gonna add any EQ later that we, we feel like we need to shape it a bit um, so like I said I was first taking out things that I didn't want to accentuate with the compressor um, and so now I'm going to compress it and we'll listen to it This is the compressor on too much. This is with the compressor off. On. Off. On. Yeah, that to me is way, way too much. Um, I'm dealing with just a little bit here. My ratio is... Uh, four to one. My attack is uh, maybe f five milliseconds, five to ten, somewhere in there. Release is sixty milliseconds, very fast. Hardeny, uh, yeah, and I'm compressing about let's see, here. about three to four decibels. Not a ton. Quite a bit for some people, but not a ton for me. And when you compress, listen for the attack of the instrument. That'll help you a lot. Listen for the punch of a kick drum, the smack of a snare drum, the attack of the, the of the words, the clarity of the words in a vocal, the uh, you know the, the key hit on a piano. Listen for the attack of it and control that with the attack control. A slower attack on the compressor will come in later, thus give you more of the natural attack of the instrument.
Alright, so our kick is sounding a little bit more even. Before we add any more EQ, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and listen to it with the rest of the drums. This is without what we just added. So, I mean, I don't know if you could hear that it was a little subtle, but it definitely is tighter, adds more clarity and definition, and keeps the kick more consistent in volume. Now we're going to do the same type thing to the snare. Let's go ahead and add a compressor to the snare. But first, again, we're going to take out things we don't want, if there is any. I don't really have any reservations about that. I like the way that snare sounds, so I'm not going to add an EQ. I'm going to add a compressor though. Alright, so I'm compressing with a 4 to 1 ratio again. Uh, attack is at 1, release is at 60 milliseconds. Um, you can time the releases of your compressors to the tempo of the song um, if you want to and uh, you know that's up to you um, some people really like to do that for me I just kinda go with what sounds good um, I'm compressing about five decibels on the snare I want a really punchy sound on this And see, I don't do a ton of compression with the attack time super fast, and I think that's because I like the transients to still come through. I'm going to show you, uh, I'm going to compress a lot with the attack very fast, and you're going to hear what it does to the sound, and then I'm going to slowly slow down the attack. So it's crushing the punch of the snare right now. doesn't sound that big it just sounds kind of weak and in the distance so let's uh, let's I'm gonna slowly slow down the attack knob so you can hear it the transient the hit start to come through and you really started to hear it at the end so Again, I ended up with an attack of about one in the final. Um, that last attack that I just played for you was 30, but again, that was compressing very hard. So this attack I ended up with was um, one millisecond, and I'm compressing, like I said, somewhere four decibels, was it four or five decibels? Now, because I like uh, some distortion and saturation, I'm going to add a little bit of tape simulation to the kick and the snare. They're going to be doing the same preset. So let's listen to them without that and then with. Without. With. If you listen close it adds just a touch of saturation, a little bit of distortion, slight distortion on the snare when it hits. Uh, the kick is a little less noticeable, but let's listen to...
the drums now that we have the gate, the EQ, the compressor, and the tape simulator on the kick. We have the gate, the compressor, and the tape simulator on the snare. adjusting the kick there. Let me change this a little bit. You make tiny adjustments here and there. The kick to me is now still sounding a little bit, I don't even know, clacky, a little bit like a quack sound. So I'm going to add some EQ after compression, but before tape simulation. I do the tape simulation as my last insert my last insert as if it was going to be recorded on tape. So I'm going to throw an EQ on the kick and we're going to you're going to hear me change the frequencies and make the sound how I want it. This is without the EQ that we just added. And we're going to add it in. So now I did that with the whole drums to illustrate a point. Um, you need to not listen in solo all the time. It'll get you in big trouble because you're not listen you're not mixing a solo instrument you're mixing a drum kit you're mixing a whole song you know don't listen in solo too much you'll get in trouble um so what we're going to do now is take a listen to the whole kit and i actually really really like the sound of that if you were going for a tighter drum sound that would be, I mean, that would be pretty close to what you might need. But we're not going for a tight drum sound. I really like the sound I'm getting right now, so I'm actually going to throw... See, the, the room mic, we're going to really deal with this now. The, this is where it's going to start getting into the true meat of what makes a good drum sound. Um, again, this was recorded in the same room that the other drum performance was in, so we, we're dealing with a smaller room, but it's really, really a good sounding room for music. My room mic. My mic was about 10 feet back, and I want it to essentially sound like it was, you know, a big drum room. Um, I would highly invest in a good reverb plug-in, if I were you. Um, reverb is one of those things you can't really cop out on. It's really, I mean, you really should invest in a good reverb plug-in. Something from, like, I really like AudioE's Ultiverb. I really like the Waves IR reverb. I've used that a handful of times. I've worked on a couple of Pro Tools systems that have the TL Space reverb, um, which I love. I don't personally own it, but I love that also. There's some really good plugins out there. Um, I love Altiverb. I caved and I, I mean, I bought it and I just love it. Um, it's an impulse response reverb. I like the impulse re response reverbs a lot for drums. I like them a lot for that real sound. If I'm going for like a more than real or a surreal sound, I actually really like plates and I like, you know, lexicons and I like things like that, but on like on vocals and guitars, but on for that real sound, if I want it to sound like it was recorded that way, I think there's no better way to turn than impulse response reverbs. Although I really, really love Sony Oxford 
the Sonox reverb plugin. Um, that's a great reverb plugin. Holy crap, I love that thing. Um, so, I would say invest in that, and it's because you can really change your drum sounds for the better, and you can really change your mixes for the better using better reverbs. Um, so let's take a listen to this room track. We're going to start by adding some EQ to it to tighten it up a little. Okay, so all, really all I've done here is I've taken a little bit out. I mean, I'm talking tiny changes here. I've got a high pass filter about 60. I'm taking out about two decibels at all of these, all the following: 200 hertz, 500 hertz, and 2K. Oh, actually, that's actually 215 hertz, but 220 area somewhere in there, and then 500, and then 2K. Regardless, uh, I'm taking out somewhere around there. So um, now we're gonna add a reverb to it. And again, I've said this on the last show, when it's a room mic that I'm trying to simulate as if it were recorded in a real room, I put the reverb on the track itself. Mono or stereo, that doesn't make any difference to me. What I'm trying to do is emulate as though it was really recorded there, and so I'll put it right after my corrective EQ. So on this track, we're dealing with a mono room mic, so we're going to put the reverb right after the EQ, not send it to a stereo reverb. You understand that that's not real. Like, that's not how it is. You know, you put up a mic that's mono, and you get a mono signal. That's just the truth of it. Um, so we're going to add a reverb. This is Altiverb. I love this plugin so much. I've crafted this preset uh, after hours and hours of working with it. It's from the... Uh, it's about a second, second long reverb 1.05 seconds um, I've slowly worked with the EQ on it and slowly worked the damping and the gains and all the things to really sound how I like it so this is the room mic with no reverb and I'm gonna add the reverb I mean, that just makes a huge jump. I mean, let's just listen to the drums just with that little change. This is without it. And with it. So um, I hope you start to see that a lot of that bigness, that big drum sound you're you're wanting, is not necessarily achieved through compression and intense EQs and all this stuff. It's, it's a lot of it is just real recorded sounds in a big room, um, and so you know essentially we're trying to simulate that. This was recording in a tighter space that was treated very well, and so we're not having to do very much EQ or anything to it. But that reverb is really making a big difference. Now I'm going to add a compressor after the reverb. Um, and that's primarily to bring out the room sound. 
like I said, we used a little bit of EQ before before the reverb to make the room mic sound a little bit tighter. Now we're going to put a compressor after the reverb to sort of accentuate the room sound and really make it make it sound big. So here's without the compressor. Now we're going to add it in right now. Compressing about three decibels. Slow attack, fast release. So now let's listen to that with everything. starting to come together pretty quick now, isn't it? Now, on this snare drum, I really like the snare sound. However, I want a bit more width from it. I want it to sound like it was still recorded in a stereo space. Um, I'm actually going to add a little bit of top end on the snare, somewhere on 10k. And then I'm going to add a stereo reverb on the kick and the snare. And this is going to give the drum sound some width, because obviously right now it's just all mono. So let's listen to the snare. Sounding pretty good. This is some of the kick. Alright, the kick's got a bit of reverb, so let's, uh, I already threw that on there, so let's listen to it without the reverb and then with. And again, that's mainly to create some width since we are working in mono. And you know what? Let's go ahead and add a little bit of that to the overheads. That's our last channel we haven't really worked with yet. So let's listen to the overheads and see what we got. Same type thing. I'm going to add just a touch of EQ on this. Just the littlest bit. Alright, I'm boosting, I have a high shelf boosting about 3 decibels from about 4k up. I have a high pass filter at, uh, what is this, about 80, and, I have, and I'm boost and I'm cutting just a little bit about 350. I'm going to uh, add in the reverb on this. That might seem like a lot, but in the whole mix, that's what's important, right? Let's listen to the whole mix.
Alright, so now what we're going to do is just to kind of glue things all together. We're going to ride them all to a bus and compress them and just the slightest bit, the low ratio, just enough to kind of glue them together. Okay, uh, there's ratted, they're routed to a group. I'm running about a 3 to 1 ratio, medium attack, and pretty quick release, which is about 1 to maybe 5 millisecond attack, maybe even more. And like I said, I might even change the ratio down to about one and a half or two. And then about 100 to 150 millisecond release. Um, it's actually set in dual mono mode. Um, by default, I like that on the drum bus. Because when you're doing toms and things like that, it's actually going to be compressing the different parts of the drum kit differently. Um, so when you hit floor tom, it's going to compress the right side a little bit more than it will the left. That kind of helps retain some dynamics when you're not you know, killing the, uh, you know, if you're not killing the hi-hat, but you're just beating the crap out of the floor tom, it'll keep your dynamics still in your hi-hat, but compress the floor tom side. Um, but anyway, so we're all mono here anyway, so it doesn't even matter. Um, so I'm just going to do stereo link. Alright, right now I'm compressing about two decibels. I think maybe three at some of the loudest hits. So, I'm really liking the way that sounds a whole lot, and I know for a fact that, you know, like, I've, like I did on the last track, I've already mixed these in the, in, before, so I already know what I did for the track. Um, obviously, you'll have to change your methods a little bit, because every single song is different, and everything you do is going to be different than what I do, and I don't want you to just parrot everything I'm doing. Please don't just repeat everything I'm doing. I mean, I'm telling you these things mainly so you understand why I'm doing them. I want you to ask questions. I want you to be curious about these things. I want you to be like, you know, so why why do you set the attack time slower? Why do you t set the attack time faster? Why do you set the ratio at 3 to 1 or 4 to 1 or 8 to 1 or infinity to 1? Why do you use that reverb, etc.? I want people to actually take an interest rather than just calling up and wanting presets because that's stupid. You know, it's a load of crap. I mean, it's called laziness. And, I, and I'm sorry, but I don't want to talk to you guys on emails and things like that if all you're going to do is email me and say, Hey, do you have a good preset for country vocal sound? Because I'm going to say, yeah, it's called go do it yourself. Go learn. Go understand what vocal sound you're going for. That's just the thing. I am not here to do that. To me, it's like people that rip people off in the business world. That's just the truth of it. I'm, I'm here to do a show so I can explain things to you and help you learn. I am not here to give you presets, and I'm not here to just show you what I do word for word so that you can do the same. I'm showing you what I do word for word so that you can learn and understand, oh, so that's what I've been potentially doing wrong. Oh, it makes sense. He puts the mono reverb on the mono room mic if he wants it to sound like the mono room mic was recorded in a big room. Things like that. I mean, those are things that matter. Um, you know, and, and right now with the drums, I'm using, what is this? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13 plugins. And again, I don't mention really what plugins I'm using other than the Altiverb, and that's because it doesn't matter. That's not the point. Um, I'm about to play you the dry drum sounds, and I'm doing that so you can hear the difference and understand 
the difference between the dry and the wet is not that great. It's just the wet has reverb and it sounds bigger. The quality of the dry is still high quality drum sounds. And that's what the whole moral of the story is. If you can't record good drum sounds, you can't make good drum sounds. I am not, again, I'm not here to be the bearer of bad news necessarily, but I want you to get that through your head, is that you've got to start recording stuff right. Stop trying to fix everything later. It's going to, I mean, you're wasting all your time sitting in front of the computer instead of getting back to the music and enjoying it. You know, just... Seriously, I mean, I'm telling you, invest money in some acoustic treatment, treat your room, learn about acoustics, send me, e I mean, ask me whatever questions you want about acoustics, I can go on all day. I can help you treat your room, I can tell you some good places to get some stuff, seriously, I mean, uh, I want, I want the best for you guys, and that's, that's what I really know is people are struggling with, is getting good sounds in the first place. The mixing side, I'm mainly showing you to show you that the sounds that I recorded were good. Um, and to say, you know, I'm accentuating what is already there. And that's what mixing is all about. Mixing is, is mixing elements. You're not fixing elements. Listen to it dry. Now we're going to listen to the process sounds. I'm going to AB between the two. Now, of course, we like the wet sounds a lot better because that's sort of the sound we're used to, and especially in a big rock song like this, it really makes a big difference. Um, but again, I'm using four mics. Think about that, okay? Four microphones. But they were placed well, they're a good drum set, good drummer, good room, and good reverbs. That's the point, you know what I mean? That's what's there. The biggest problem, I think, is people think that mixing... People think that people like Chris Lord Algae and, uh, you know, all, all kinds of these famous mix engineers are just doing voodoo and just turning terrible, terrible sounds into incredible, credible mixes. And you need to know that th that is not what's happening. You've got guys that are sending Chris Lord Algae incredible recorded tracks. I mean, in the best studios of the world. And he's taking them... And he's looking at them with his eyes and his ears and his heart and his, you know what I mean? He's taking it all in every sense and just, and just thinking about it and saying, what can I do to make this punch here? What can I do to bring out the snare? What can I do to bring out the lead vocal? What can I do to make this really pop and really in your face? And he does it. He accentuates what is there. That's what mixing is all about. It is not about spending your whole life trying to fix problems. And if you're listening to something, the first step you really need to listen to is, was it recorded right? 
And that includes, does the drummer suck or not? Because honestly, there's a lot of terrible drummers out there, and they think they're really good, but they're not. The real joy is when you get to work with musicians that are incredible, and then you can really tell that a lot of what you might have thought you sucked at, you didn't. And I would really like to do a show on drum recording. I wish I could have done that before drum mixing. Um, but, you know, it's a little more difficult because you can't see it. Um, but it's just one of those things that, man, I'm, I really hope you took something away from this. I really hope you learned um, that it's not about the number of mics. It's not about, you know, all this. It's, it's seriously 70% contained in the drums, the drummer, the room, and essentially uh, your perception of the sounds you need. I mean, if you put a crappy mic on the snare or you put a 57 over the drum kit, that sound is not really going to be what you're wanting. You know, you need that clarity. You need the clear cymbals, so you need a condenser over the snare or you need a condenser over the kit or you need a condenser in the room or a tube mic in the room or whatever. You know, engineering, that's what it's called. It's called engineering for a reason because there's a technical side and you got to understand it. The specific gear choice, as in this brand versus this brand, is not nearly as important in the long run. However, the type of a mic that you're using, condenser, ribbon, dynamic, is actually really, really important. And the placement is really, really important. The room is not minimal. That's not a minimal thing. Treat your freaking rooms, people, and your recordings will seriously blossom. I mean, they will benefit. I, I can't even know how much. I mean, I wish I, I wish I could really put it in a quantifiable number, but what percentage? But I mean, honestly, probably easily 75% better. I mean, if you treat your rooms and they're not treated now, 75 plus percent better. And I mean, obviously, have good musician, musicians and good songs. That's gonna make that's gonna make all the difference in the world. People people don't care about the preamp you used. Only the audio geeks are gonna care about that and they're going to hear it and they're going to be picky but in the long run it matters the music always comes first um so anyway i hope you guys have enjoyed this show um remember i do freelance mixing and mastering if you guys are interested the email is recordingloungepodcast@gmail.com so if you're interested in mixing or mastering just email me we can talk about it but also again I, if you have questions about anything, about recording, mixing, mastering, about drums, about miking, mics, acoustic treatment, any of, or even podcast ideas, please email me your podcast ideas. Um, I've been getting some good podcast ideas lately from some, some really cool fans. Thank you guys for sending me those emails. You know, email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com, um, and check out the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com, and I will see you guys soon.